Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast. We are watching every episode of Call the Midwife one by one and bringing them to you without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are watching and talking about the fourth episode of season five of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas and directed by Cherie Folkson. We last saw Cherie Folkson as the director of the last episode, episode three of this season. And Heidi Thomas, of course, created the show and writes many episodes. The last time she was credited as the writer of an individual episode was the first episode of this season, which is the episode where Susan Mullocks was born, the last episode where we dealt with uh, thalidomide. Yes. is the last one that Heidi Thomas wrote herself. Which, once again, is not being named in this episode, but those who are aware of history can guess that that's what's going on in this episode. Yeah, this is a spoiler not of Call the Midwife, but once again, a spoiler of real life history. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the recap. Mature Jenny narrates about the world changing in 1961, as we see Sister Mary Cynthia clean a painting with bread and Trixie cycle through the streets. Sister Mary Cynthia and Sister Julianne talk about Sister Hildegard, the first of their order. A young man, Ian, quotes Shakespeare to his mom, who has burns and is tended to by Trixie. They discuss his girlfriend Linda, the Queen, and his acceptance into Durham University. In the clinic, Sheila talks to the expectant moms about hospital delivery, and Mrs. Cottingham cracks jokes. Later, when she's examined, she says that she doesn't want a hospital delivery. Linda and Ian walk together with him talking about them getting them out of there, but she confesses that she's pregnant. Sister Julianne is called to work a week at St. Cuthbert's Hospital and hopes to see why women are choosing it. She tasks Sister Mary Cynthia with Sister Monica Jones' help to lead the service for the late Sister Hildegard. The nurses sit on the steps sunbathing, discussing their plans for their days off, and Barbara tries to cover up her relationship with Tom, but Trixie sees through it. So, where do you want to start? Uh, just off, right off the top here, uh, cleaning a painting with bread. Yeah, does that work? I looked, I looked that up. It, it is kind of an, like a folk way of cleaning an oil painting kind of absorbing the uh the dust that gets that gets into an oil painting without damaging it uh modern people are like when i looked it up it was like here's a way to clean it and then people saying please don't do this so (laughs) it seems like it works but don't do that because you'll probably end up with breadcrumbs on the painting too so you know no point but i do love the gentle way we see Sister Mary Cynthia, first of all, that she like has heard this is a thing and is using it and also gently cleaning off this like this woman who is who we've never heard of before, but yeah. it was the first of their order. This is like I can make a little bit of this moment in terms of the theme of the episode because she's it is the episode is about as we've mentioned before the season is about the future and the mixed 
blessings of the future and connection to the past and how you navigate that. And that's mm-hmm. what the voiceover is. The world is shifting on its axis in 1961. And it's what the uh, themes of this episode are going to be. But it's also like you take this thing that she read in a magazine. So it's, even though it isn't a modern solution, it's a modern solution to her because she's like reading magazines and mm-hmm. keep seeing like a life hack. Yeah, exactly. It's a modern life hack to clean this oil painting to connect her and the rest of the uh, sisters to their past and their tradition. Mm-hmm. And so we're both doing the like a modern thing to connect us to the past. And she's cleaning off the oil painting to reestablish. She represents the future of the nuns. And we see that in the conversation with Sister Monica Joan that like she's a child and doesn't know anything about Sister Hildegard. But she's also, like, symbolically cleaning off the oil painting is a kind of nostalgia and a kind of connection to tradition and the past Mm -hmm. and history through the methods of a young nun reading uh, Lifehack magazines. Mm -hmm. Do we assume that Sister Monica Joan knew Sister Hildegard? I assume that she did. Yeah, as do I. The way she talks, I think she knew her personally, yes. Yeah, I assume that, that... This order is not, you know, an ancient order, so I think that it's likely. Yeah. And Sister Monica Joan, like, I don't know that we know her exact dates, but she was young mm-hmm. when she started. Like, yes. I don't know exactly how old, but she's very old now, and she was very young then, and she was, like, has been there for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely, I think it's even possible that Sister Julienne knew Sister Hildegard, that's, but that's Sister Monica Joan, too. for sure, I would say, the mm-hmm. way she talks and based on how we talk about her and her her history mm-hmm. and her connection to the past. Once that, again, I still, ever since I saw it on Reddit, the idea of a Sister, Sister Monica Joan prequel, I want it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like yet another example of like, I want that prequel and to see what it was like for Sister Monica Joan. And like when, when it's World War One on the exactly. horizon instead of the Cold War. Oof, Yeah. So good. It would be so good. That's the other thing, by the way, in terms of the world shifting on its axis in 1961. They don't address it in the text at all. But, like, what is happening in 1961 is the Cold War is looming. Mm, Yeah. It hasn't started yet. But uh, 1961, it's like the Berlin Wall is built, either has been built or is going to be built any day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's also, uh, in terms of 1961 is not that exact year but we're applicable to their lives is the the pill is going to become a thing very soon as well yes and no spoilers of call the midwife but you can probably guess that a show about birth is going to deal with the pill when it becomes relevant spoiler of history yeah exactly so we have um do you want to talk about ian and linda and sandy and this family absolutely so they're the main characters of this episode uh in a link to what you were just saying about past and future ian is quoting shakespeare and studying like history of english literature but also is moving forward and modernizing and wanting to get out of poplar and get you know himself a job away from the factories and all and manual labor yeah it's again it is exactly his his vision of his personal future is about connecting to a literary and historical past. Mm-hmm. So he quotes the the 
thing he quotes to his mother, his mother's like, your lips are moving. Is it a poet, poem or one of those plays? Yeah. <laughs> and he says, oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention, which is the prologue to Henry V, the nah. first word spoken in Henry V. She says that, uh, is that what that Laurence Olivier? <laughs> She's like, it's by no. Shakespeare, mom. <laughs> yeah. um, Laurence Olivier famously p- played Hamlet around this time. So that's who she would be thinking of, I'm yeah, guessing. I didn't look up. I don't know if there was a movie version of Henry V around this time. Uh, I'm not aware of one. If there is one, I haven't seen it. But, mm-hmm. pro- but he might have been on. I mean, a movie version is one thing. They, they, I mean, it's London. They would have the stage. You're right. Even in the uh, <laughs> East End, they might. Be aware of stage production. Mm-hmm. My goodness. To me, my, I've lived my entire life in places where stage performances of things are like, they might as well be on the moon. Uh, most things. Like there is local theater in a very small way everywhere I've ever lived. But not like Laurence Olivier would not ever come anywhere. If I was alive at that time, he would not ever come anywhere that I could ever have seen in my entire life. So it's just like... <laughs> doesn't even occur to me that that's uh even in like on people's horizon but of course it would be yeah but the prologue to henry the fifth like i don't henry henry the fifth is also a play about uh connecting to the past through the future Mm, yeah so it's i mean don't want to make too much of it but henry the fifth is this uh, King Henry V invades France and is very like modern warfare and expanding England. But the rationale behind it is that the throne of France is his ancestral throne. Mm. And so it's about connecting to the past and the uh, ancestral past of the uh, English crown through modern new uh, actions in modern warfare. And the uh, Battle of Agincourt is the first use of the English longbow. So it's modern uh, technology Mm -hmm. to connect to the past again. Uh, So again, like, it's all about using the future to connect to the past Mm. through this whole episode in every way. We see Linda, who is Ian's girlfriend... Uh, sending candy to Sandy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, cough drops. It's it's candy, but it, I assume it's also like cough drops for her cough, not just like s- sweets. But maybe it is just sweets. I don't think that was clear. But what it is clear is this family, like Linda, is close to Ian's mother. Mm-hmm. It is not just uh they are dating we see a connection we see a relationship between linda and sandy before we see a relationship between ian and, and mm-hmm. linda yeah and so. we find out very soon that linda's mother has passed away and so this sandy is her surrogate mother yeah so ian like so many before him and after him is going to university from poverty and wanting a better life not that he's like really poor but like the poverty of the east end and is wanting a better life i did not look up is durham a college of a university or is durham a university itself have you looked that up i didn't look it up either i could look it up right now let's look it up right now because i am curious Durham University is a public university in the uk okay so it is just a straight up university yeah. I guess that makes sense because he's going to study something different from what uh, Tom studied, but he's going yeah. to the same university. And they talk, Tom and he talk about like, what college are you 
at, going to be Ooh. at, and he I can't remember what he says, yeah. but Tom's like, oh, bring a sweater and a hot water bottle, haha. <laughs> so he's going to study literature, and Tom studied theology, and Tom is his mentor, and mm-hmm. uh, encouraging him to apply, and encouraging him, and supporting him in like, get out of poplar, get out of poverty. Yeah. Uh, and because we know how TV works, even before it happens, there's there's a real sense in his story of like, I'm going to get out of here and li- the future is wide open. And of course, there's going to be a wrinkle in that. Yeah. It's like the, I have one day to retirement. Oh, no, he's dead. I have, you know, I'm getting out of here. Oh, no, she's pregnant. He also, by the way just in terms of the things that he quotes like Linda and he talk and he's all excited about going to university and she's like you're gonna you're not you're gonna have to marry me Mm -hmm. um but he also in that conversation quotes the lady of Shalott to her Mm -hmm. she asks him to read to quote the poem about the lady in the mirror and he quotes it's the lady of Shalott by Tennyson which is another like the lady of Shalott the story of the lady of Shalott and the imagery of the Lady of Shalott is she is trapped in a tower and she can't get out and her access to the world outside is mirrors that let her see the light of the world outside and she sees Lancelot riding past in his glittering armor and she's so entranced by the sight of the beautiful glittering world outside her rooms that she uh, tries to follow and then dies and travels and sends her body along the river and finally gets to Camelot and uh, none of them really know her story or her deal. And when she writes a little letter explaining her deal and when Lancelot reads it, he says she has a lovely face, which is like taken usually as a very romantic moment, but also is like she's nothing to Lancelot. He's the future and the most beautiful Mm. thing she's ever seen. She's a lady trapped in a tower who when he sees her, he's like, ah, she's pretty. Um, And it is, I feel, in this instance, Ian is the Lady of Shalott. Mm. Ian is the one who is, like, seeing the glittering future that he can't get to. And he's trapped in a tower. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also, like, mirrors don't read to us as uh, modern technology, but... In a medieval context, like bright shining mirrors in the Lady of Shalott is, it's another like modern technology to connect you to the past. Yeah, there you go. Wow, I like, I kept Libra seeing all these things and like, <laughs> who knows if they're even there, but I like them. So, uh, Sheila, uh, in a similar thing to last episode sheila does these kind of lecture guest speaker things at the clinic to teach the expectant moms about you know modern technology in a way too so that -hmm. connects again to the modern technology and saying you know you can choose to have your baby at the hospital you can choose to have it at home i'm here to just like explain the difference to you and Mrs. Cottingham stands out immediately as a character. She is uh, cracking jokes and all eyes are on her, talking about her sons and how, and her husband, frankly, who wouldn't be able to be away from her for the 10 days she would get to stay in the hospital or have to stay in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, just a side note. 10 days that would be so nice how long were you like, like i feel like it was three at it most. was 
for most for of our that first, you were in labor. For our first was it, we were gone by the second day. For our second, we were gone like the next day, early the next day. And I wanted to go home, but also it's nice to have someone care for your baby with you and <laughs> help you figure things out and be away from you know. If I'd had other children, like six other children at home, it would be a really nice little vacation. <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I still remember so vividly when our first baby was born, and they're just like, "Well." bye we were like what i don't know how to do <laughs> you're this just like giving her to us yeah. and let it, you're not like checking on us you're not they do check out you know you yeah. and a, a nurse mid or a nurse came and did a home visit a couple days later but like it felt very much like we are don't know anything yeah, and exactly. you're not telling us anything you're just like good luck yeah uh anyway. do, you have, do you have a car seat for this kid okay Bye. Bye. They won't. They, they wouldn't let you leave without a car seat. Yeah, we didn't have a car. I know. <laughs> that was the whole thing. <laughs> but anyway, Mrs. Cottingham, what she says, like, there's another young mother who's like all worried, and they're talking about gas and air, and there's a little conversation about like, I, I heard that they give you gas right off of your stove, and that doesn't sound safe to me. And she was like, No, that wouldn't be safe. Don't do that. Yeah. Which, by the way, Which is, of course a is a foreshadowing yeah. of the end. But at this moment, it's funny. Yep. Um, and Ms. Cottingham has such faith in the, the midwives. Mm-hmm. You'll be all right with the Nanottons. Like, they'll take good care of you. Yeah. And there's she's cracking jokes, but she's also uh, very much there to express, like, great faith in the midwives to take excellent care of her and make everything okay mm-hmm. and skepticism of the hospital too mm-hmm. absolutely uh, partly though coming from like the nuns the nurses the midwives are gonna take excellent care of me and i don't need any hospital because they're great it's a little bit this like uh ian like with these people taking care of me nothing can possibly go wrong yeah it's a um... I really like Mrs. Cottingham as uh, an example of what happens in the East End in this world is older, more experienced moms who've had a couple of kids are right there alongside the new mm-hmm. moms, reassuring them. And sometimes that works out poorly, yep. but oftentimes it's a really good thing to have them there. And this is a something that I feel like we've lost in today's modern world um, is... Although, no, because there's the internet and that's really nice yeah. too. But there's uh, there's this sense of like community and village life of uh, reassurance that can yeah. come with knowing people who've gone through what you're going through right now. And this interaction, while we're on it, I'm just going to add, we've often seen older, more experienced mothers and young mothers like equipping back and forth and Often the tone is like, oh, you have no idea what you're in for. It's going to be terrible. You're barely going to survive. Ha ha. And the older, more experienced mothers are like, it's all a big joke. And they scare the younger ones. Mm -hmm. And this is really nice to see the opposite attitude that like, you'll be all right. They'll take good care of you. She is is very reassuring. Doesn't work out well for her, but it's kind to see. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, We also, anything else to say about her at this point no not yet um we see uh the the other little thing in this section is just um barbara and trixie Mm -hmm. 
which is we saw we talked about this in the last episode that Trixie knows about Barbara and Tom. Yeah, she's not stupid. <laughs> she can see it happening right in front of her. She knew it before she even saw them. Like she suspected things before she actually even saw them in the last episode. Yeah. She saw them making eyes at each other. And now she knows for sure. And they're talking about their plans for the weekend. They're all this little moment. Another like uh, blink and you'll miss her Delia moment. But Delia and Patsy sunbathing on the steps together looking very, uh, I don't know, happy and relaxed. Yeah. Um, And then talking about their plans for the weekend and barbara like makes up a cousin or an aunt i know oh barbara (laughs) (laughs) trixie not being stupid is not fooled by any of this she's sullen and jealous like do you want to come with us on friday well as long as i'm not busy why would you be busy barbara yeah (laughs) Uh... they both just need to talk to each other but really, it's Barbara's fault for not talking to her in the first place, I don't think. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe the one tiny other thing to say that I'm, you will get more into in a second, but uh, Sister Julianne is called to work at the hospital. So yeah. let's talk about the hospital and hospital births versus home births. That's not just Sheila. It's also that theme is playing out with Sister Julianne getting called to work a week at St. Cuthbert's. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's going to be her plot for the week. Mm-hmm. So speaking of which, Sister Julianne goes to the hospital and help, immediately helps a Saletti woman named Jamila deliver. She finds her style doesn't exactly mesh with the hospital. <laughs> Ian's mother demands that Ian and Linda get married, even though he's upset about potentially missing university. Linda tells her father about the baby and her father shouts and intimidates Ian with Tom interceding. Barbara confronts Tom about him and Trixie and ends up breaking things off with him. Barbara and Phyllis help Mrs. Cottingham in labor, but she is stalled and ends up needing to go to the hospital. Sister Julianne is there when she arrives and watches as she ends up getting an emergency C-section. When the baby comes out, it's badly deformed, but still living. Later, Sister Julianne finds the baby left alone next to an open window to die. She blesses the little one and holds them as they die. Ian and Linda celebrate their engagement in the pub, and her father surprises Ian with a work uniform and a factory job. Later, Tom finds him in the washroom and talks about giving things up and loving Linda enough to do what's right. Ian tries to go to his factory job, but can't go in. So let's talk about the Sister Julianne in the hospital first. Mm-hmm. Um, we start, I mean, obviously the emotional, uh, center or one of the emotional centers of the episode is Mrs. Cottingham in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But before we even get to that, Sister Julianne in the hospital taking care of Jamila, uh, Shaji, and we see like the hospital, as often, like the hospital seems terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is so cold and heartless. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, supervising nurse who's like, tea? This is a delivery room, not a teddy bear's picnic. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, shove it up your ear hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need to be mean. Mm-hmm. It is a time in history when they're, especially in this time and place, where there's some severe growing pains when it's coming to hospitals versus home births. Mm-hmm. And 
that hospitals are trying to figure out how to safely deliver and deliver, you know, medically in contrast to home births that seem unsafe in some ways. But uh, it's, I feel like these days we have finally kind of merged towards, you know, realizing that it's a kind of a combination of both making the mother comfortable, but also medical intervention at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and this that's is a, a tricky balance. And it definitely at this point in history had not been balanced at all. This is something we've talked about before. And there's like a major motif of the entire show is yeah. and of like, if you start thinking about birth, like the medicalization of birth in the 20th century is a thing people many people have noticed and commented on Mm -hmm. and like the show is against (laughs) and the show is ambivalent about but like we're in a community midwife uh environment and that's what the show uh strongly sympathizes with Mm -hmm. the community midwife model yeah and i think that this this uh section just this little like birth with jamila uh just simply sets up that Sister Julienne is different from the hospital staff. She is more sympathetic and, uh, and, um, what's the word? Sympathetic and empathetic. Sympathetic and and empathetic and more, uh, listening to the woman's needs. But, uh, it doesn't mean that the hospital bad midwife good. Because in as the episode continues and she uh, gets to know this other nurse better, she, she is compassionate and she is like a helpful and good nurse. Well, and we often see, I mean, we're dancing around and I want to dance for a moment more, but we often see like, on the show in general, it's rare that we don't humanize and soften people uh and in this case too like this nurse is doing the best she can and does care about her patients and is trying to do what's good and kind and right for herself and for others and she takes her break when uh jamila is in the middle of labor and she like uh it would be easy to frame that as like she doesn't care about her patients but the way she said what she says that is like i think the camera believes her is like i'll be able to care for you best if i also care for myself and Mm -hmm. we've seen that through this show that like when the sometimes the nurses and midwives are like exhausted and they don't give the best care Mm -hmm. and sometimes they take care of themselves and then they do give better care like that's true and that's the benefit of the hospital for the medical staff not just for the patients but both Mm -hmm. and like the doctor too who when he does the c-section uh he's like on one hand he treats uh ruby as like uh as if she's not there but then after the c-section and the baby he we have the line from him that like let's return our attention to the mother Mm -hmm. so like we do actually get a line from him that like he cares about her yeah absolutely let's talk actually about ruby and her Mm -hmm. birth though um She's the reason she's in the hospital in the first place is the baby is uh, brow presenting. Mm -hmm. So it's painful and slow. Which is basically face first. Yeah. Which is not very easy to deliver naturally. 
and these days i think you wouldn't ever yeah but like uh it's facebook i'm like i don't know how it all works for the baby but i looked at a diagram and like it's like chin up instead of down so Mm. instead of the crown of the head it's like the brow of the head so the baby's head is like moving back yeah uh but then the uh they measure the pull baby's heart rate and it's dropping and dropping and the doctor orders an emergency c-section and before she is sedated sister julianne promises to look after the baby and she you know entrusts the baby to the sister who she trusts and then uh we have the c-section and it's another baby with thalidomide caused birth defects we don't know the thalidomide on the show yet Mm but uh the doctor when when he pulls out the baby he says oh god another one Mm -hmm. which is like and this is setting up like uh we as we've said we know it's thalidomide but this is setting up a mystery for the whole season yeah outside of like medical knowledge we don't know what's causing this we don't know the reason why this is happening and later on the discussion of is this a local phenomenon because we've only seen it amongst people that are in the east end so what is going on yeah you may mention it in your recap or not i don't know but the the dr turner is like checks the medical journals and there's nothing about it yeah and Uh, it's 1961 by the way that thalidomide is uh uh invented in 58 mm -hmm. so this is the tail end historically this is the very tail end of thalidomide being on the market Mm mm-hmm so it's been a while now. Yeah. And also, as you said, 1961 is heading into the Cold War. And so this nuclear fear is very mm-hmm. present since the end of you know World War II to now. Uh, and so like deformities and that kind of thing, they're not necessarily thinking drugs. They're thinking like radiation. And we had last season an episode where uh, there were birth defects caused by radiation. Mm-hmm. But let's not get too ahead of let's ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so the baby is born and then, and that is like hard and it is worse. Like the deformations are worse than baby Susan that we yes, saw in the first worse. episode. Like this baby has no arms, no legs at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, one of the like little details is that Ruby has been wishing for a girl and this baby, they can't tell, uh, whether it's uh like it doesn't have any genitals yeah so they can't tell whether it's a boy or a girl mm-hmm. um and then sister julianne goes to check in and then he's not the baby's not in the nursery mm-hmm. which is like awful this i uh, we're, we're dancing around it because we don't want to talk about it the way that she finds the baby by a cold window left there to die quicker is horrifying and we as an audience we as people are right there alongside sister julianne of like yeah are you kidding me it's left by an open window unwrapped and sister julianne says you know cold and trembling Mm -hmm. by a window and this this is where like you're like the nurse is uh trying to be kind and i'm like yeah kind of yeah like this is the kinder way no it is not Mm -hmm. no it isn't kinder on who 
Yeah. When Sister Julianne finds the baby, wraps it up, wraps them up, and quotes Isaiah 43, uh, Don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. You're precious to me. Um, and this is... Uh, from the book of Isaiah, the in the in context, it's God talking to Israel, but also in context, it's an interesting choice because the right before uh, Isaiah says about Israel, like you're blind and deaf, and uh, he talks about Israel in terms of disability. The the metaphor in context is talking about the nation of Israel as a person with uh, disabilities and then says but don't be afraid for I've redeemed you called you by your name you're mine you're precious to me you'll pass through the water and not drown mm-hmm. and so the like bringing that back to being about a baby born uh, with disabilities and deformities I uh, feels very uh appropriate and affecting mm-hmm. absolutely and she this like in fiction always there's there's like this moral dilemma often we see in stories like this stories big and little about like do you do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few to quote star trek mm-hmm. um does like the hospital way why it seems cold and heartless sometimes is that it's about treating birth both medically but also institutionally and uh at its worst like a factory mm-hmm. and it's that therefore depersonalizes them and they're like what's kindest uh from the hospital's perspective is what's kindest on everyone and there's a moral kind of dilemma that we see, I see all the time, right? Of like, is it better to save the life of just, it's the trolley problem almost, even though there isn't an actual uh, problem of lives in this case, but is it better to care about one individual or about the whole system? Because everyone suffers if you don't care about the whole system. Mm -hmm. And the answer here, as always, (laughs) is you care about the one person. Mm Mm-hmm. You just do. You have to. Uh, Sister Julianne is the one who is right. Mm-hmm. Wrapping this baby up and praying for it and blessing it. The Lord bless you and keep you, which is the uh, um, standard blessing in Anglican and Catholic. But uh, in Anglican liturgy, mm-hmm. comes from Numbers 26, 24. Again, it's what uh, in context... Uh, Moses is instructed when you bless God's people this is what you should say mm-hmm. um, and so like what is right is caring about the individual baby and treating them with kindness and love and compassion and holding it in your arms mm-hmm. <sighs> we all deserve a dignified death whether we are minutes old or a hundred years old we don't no one deserves to die shivering and alone yeah and 
the way this child is discarded is whew, it's a lot it is what I go ahead uh, no just I found this this part of this episode uh, sticks with me I've seen this episode before and I knew as soon as uh, Sister Julianne was in the hospital I knew this was coming but all right, let's let's move on to some of the other aspects of this section and this episode. Uh, Ian and Linda are, of course, demanded that they get married by both first Ian's mother suggests it. Uh, she suggests it, and and Linda's father demands it <laughs> with uh, some violence and threat of more violence. <laughs> He throws Ian against a door. He's not especially pleased. No, he is not. Um, he, like, Ian and Linda and Sandy and uh, Linda's father, whose name I don't know if we ever know. No. Um, like, Sandy wants Ian to drop out of Durham, get a job, provide for his new family. Like, that's what a man does. Mm-hmm. And he... This, like, moment of... It's like... Ah, uh, pathetic and also like pathetic in both senses in the sense of like uh fills me with pathos and also in the sense of like sad uh he's like maybe i could get a job uh doing programs about poetry on the bbc mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like my dude <laughs> you are not going to get a job doing programs about poetry on the bbc um before your child is born. Before your child sure, is certainly. born. What his mother says is like, he says it'll take three years. And his mother says, you don't have three years, you have seven months. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is pressured on all sides to not go to Durham. To he, Linda and Ian are engaged. Linda is very happy and Ian is less so mm-hmm. visibly less happy. Like he's trying to put a good face on it, but he's obviously yeah. unhappy. Um, and it is the case of like, he does love Linda and want to be with her. And like, she was part of his plan. You know, yeah. she wasn't like he was going to leave her behind or whatnot. She was always going to be part of his plan, but the baby is not part of the plan. Yeah. And like his plan, as he talks about with, like, I don't want to marry you right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, go away. It takes three years. And then I'll be able to put, like, you want me to put food on your pl- table. I'll put food on your table that you've never had and none of us have ever had. Like, better food than you've ever had in your life. But it'll mm-hmm. take three years. Yeah. And his mother's like, you don't have three years. Yep. Uh, and he, they share their engagement with Trixie and Tom. <laughs> who happened to be together and Tom and Trixie gives a bit of passive aggression aimed at Tom. Yep. <laughs> you, this is more than just a ring. It's a promise. You found a man who will put you first always. That is a rare and precious thing. <laughs> like, okay. Trixie's the one who broke it off with Tom. I, I mean, know. I know she had her reasons, but I do feel like she doesn't really have a right to be so yeah. passive aggressive. <laughs> We'll come back to Trixie, but yeah. and then the other thing with Ian in this section, Ian and Linda is Ian has this big celebration of his engagement. I don't think Linda's there. No, she's there. Okay, in the pub. Yeah, they're um, all there. And he, his soon-to-be father-in-law, gives him a gift of overalls to work at the paint factory. Yep. Hooray! Like, yeah. oh, and it's so 
I think, affecting because for most people there, for the father, it's like this really is a gift. Mm-hmm. And it really is like a cause for happiness. And like you're going to have a job and you're going to be able to provide and you'll be near me and we'll have a family and we'll be a family together. And like, yeah, exactly. And for Ian, though, those overalls are like horrible mm-hmm. and they symbolize the like end of everything he has hoped for for his life yeah exactly and he talks in the uh bathroom with tom also this conversation is great i think mm-hmm. that like i do love her i just don't love her more than everything else in the world <laughs> yeah and tom says you love her enough and sometimes enough love is enough, which I think is a good, like, a uh, heartbreaking but good line. Mm-hmm. Sometimes enough love is enough. Ugh. It's not as, uh, like, crushingly sad as the Cottingham story, but it's also, like, surrounded by dead ends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um... The last bit in the here is that Barbara breaks up with Tom because she, oh, it's awful because she confronts him about Trixie and he admits that he still has some feelings for Trixie. I know. He doesn't and even that seem to not, realize that he has. Yeah. And that. that is not what she was expecting. She was expecting, you know, we need to tell Trixie so that she can, Trixie can move on. And it turns out Tom also needs to move on. And yeah. that just hurts poor Barbara so like young and innocent and like this is her first any kind of relationship and she's just devastated. She says telling the truth is harder than telling lies and it's something I've had to do rather more than I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, she also in this section and a little later like everyone keeps saying oh Barbara you're so nice and sweet and kind and she's like I'm not. <laughs> but she is but I really like that also. That like I'm not just this sweet innocent girl. I'm a nurse, and I'm a like I'm a grown adult. I'm not a, a girl, mm-hmm. and I'm a nurse, and I am trying to relieve pain, including my own. And like I'm not just sweet, innocent, nice. I'm just conscientious. Mm-hmm. And like it's kind of not true. She really is just very sweet. <laughs> She really is very sweet. And also I was like, I'm 23. And I'm like, you're 23. You're just a little baby. Such a baby. (laughs) Says a person who was married by 23. Yes. Um, We were very mature at 23. Oh, yeah, for sure. And 22. Um, Should I move on to the next section? Yes. The last last of our sections. Um, In the chapel... Sister Monica, Sister Julianne speaks to Sister Mary Cynthia and Sister Monica Joan. They pray with her and discuss lying to Mrs. Cottingham. In the morning, she tells Dr. Turner and Sheila about the baby, and the two of them begin to investigate the mystery of the recent babies born with deformities, even though there is no news of it in the medical journals. Sister Julianne tells Mrs. Cottingham about her lost baby, but doesn't go into the details of how. Linda goes to the clinic, and they find that she is in the midst of a miscarriage. After she loses the baby, they go back home to find Tom at the door and Ian with the gas on. 
he has put his head in the oven. But they save him, and he finds out about the lost baby. Patrick and Sheila look for similarities between Rhonda Mullock and Rudy, Ruby Cottingham, but aren't able to find any. Tom and Trixie discuss Ian's situation as they walk home and end up talking about their own broken engagement. Tom asks to move on, but Trixie is unsure. Then Trixie witnesses as Linda gives Ian back his ring and convinces him to break off the engagement so he can go to school. Trixie is influenced by their love and talks to Barbara, giving her blessing to date Tom. The nuns sing at Sister Hildegard's service. Sister Mary Cynthia reads about her faith and the challenges. Mature Jenny narrates about bright horizons but not seeing what's coming. As we see Ian get ready for school, Tom and Barbara go on a date, and lastly we see a box with the remains of baby Cottingham. So I want to talk about Sister Julianne first. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this scene in the chapel, I adore it. The I know you're going to talk about it too, but like the when, moment when she's holding hands with Sister Mary Cynthia and Sister Monica Joan, and that's the past and the future, just like we've been talking about as yeah. these three generations of women together. Yeah, I, I agree that it's a beautiful scene, beautifully written and acted and like uh heart wrenching mm-hmm. the when she comes in sister monica jones says they sang psalm 40 at compline and psalm 40 is uh i put all my hope in the lord he leaned down to me he listened to my cry for help he lifted me out of the pit of death out of the mud and filth mm-hmm. and he set my feet on the solid rock and he steadied my legs mm-hmm. so it's again like about I mean, it's about despair and hope and it's about like steadying my legs feels mm-hmm. like such a very pointed <laughs> uh, psalm to choose. Because, of course, you know, the writers choose the psalm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it seems like a very pointed psalm to choose when Sister Julianne has just come from delivering a baby with no legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are talking about like... The Sister Hildegard, blah, 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 and Sister Monica Jones sees in Sister Julianne's face. Which is another moment I really love. Mm-hmm. Like, our sister greatly seeks replenishment in prayer. And they uh, hold hands together, as you say, like, past, present, future. Sister Julianne and Sister Monica Joan, I don't know if they're technically different generations, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sister yeah. Monica Joan is quite a bit older than Sister yeah. Julianne. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and they talk about lies, which is also what Barbara like, yeah, and Tom were talking about, lies and truth. Mm-hmm. And when is it acceptable to lie and when not to? And Sister Julianne kind of lands on kind of a light lie. She mm-hmm. lies about the baby being a girl. She omits all the details of how she yeah. died. And on one hand... I think that's a wise choice. On the other hand, I do see it from the modern perspective of 2023. You should know the medical reason why your child died. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be kind of cold about it, um, there's going to be like financial settlements for babies deformed by thalidomide. Yeah. Uh, 
and the Cottinghams need to know they're entitled to that. Exactly. They like, she says, is it acceptable to tell a lie? And Sister Monica Jones says the question isn't whether it's acceptable, but whether it's kind. Mm-hmm. And Sister Julianne says, I don't know if it would be kind, but the truth would be cruel. Yeah. And that's where, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. It's also, there's like, I think the show wants us to say that Sister Julianne's choice is kind. Um, but that's also the rationale that the nurses used to leave the baby at the window. Mm-hmm. Is they thought it would be kinder. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I don't know if I agree with the ending here of, like, telling her it's a girl, telling her that her last breath was warm and safe. I believe she was aware that she was loved. Like, that's beautiful. It is. And she doesn't have to lie to say that. And luckily, she was there to provide that. Yeah. Even though leading up to that, there wasn't safe and warm. But there was. There was in the last moment mm-hmm. when she took her last breath and that's why these women of poplar trust yeah the nuns so much and i mean and that's why that's that they provide this comfort after loss in the same and comfort during birth in the same way that's the other thing about lies right is uh when you lie to be kind you damage trust mm-hmm. and they it's important, like, Ruby trusts Sister Julienne to be kind, but she also trusts her to be truthful. I'm not saying, like, boo Sister Julienne. This, unlike unlike the kind of uh, moral dilemma of is it better to comfort a baby or leave it to die cold by a window, uh, I feel like this is a real moral dilemma, not a, not a transparent one. Mm-hmm. That, like... I think in the cold light of day, probably the truth is better. But I get where she's coming from, mm. obviously. And the mo- the last line Ruby has there is, she's like, I wish, I wished so much for this baby. And Sister Julianne says, like, why did it happen? And Sister Julianne says, I wish I could tell you. And Ruby says, listen to us, wishing this and wishing that. We haven't got a fairy godmother between us. Mm-hmm. Like... A more poignant wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely, what good is wishing doing us? Yeah. So, in a parallel thing, Linda also loses her baby. So we have two losses mm-hmm. side by side in this episode. In fact, the only baby who lives is Jamila, who we see, you know, ever so briefly in the hospital. This episode is framed with with uh, death. Yep. And, you know, it's an early miscarriage, so it's not the same, you know, painful end in the same way Mrs. Cottingham, but it still is is painful and sad and uh, devastating for Linda. And Trixie is there through the loss Mm -hmm. and there to comfort. And I love Trixie in this episode is struggling with her feelings for Tom and moving on and everything. But we also see like such a good Trixie in this episode, like helping Linda through yeah. the bathroom door and she's being all a kinds good of nurse. things. Yeah. She's being such a good nurse. I love when she's like, she needs an aspirin, a hug and a hot water bottle or whatever. And the hug is the most important part. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. She, by the way, this is like a, my, uh, 
little intersection of Trixie Barbara's story and Trixie, Trixie Linda's story is Linda comes to the clinic and she's Barbara's patient and Trixie's like, oh, can I take her, please? Uh, because she knows Linda and she's connected, but also kind of to stick it to Barbara, yeah. who is like, I haven't boiled any urine today. It'll be nice change of pace. Yep, exactly. <laughs> like, Go and boil some urine. <laughs> I love that Trixie is like threading that needle, being yeah. a good nurse and also kind of a petty. Yeah. Exactly. Friend. Every time they talk about boiling urine, I think about the book called The Midwife and how Jenny Lee describes the smell of the clinic and the boiling urine. I'm like, oh, we see like this nice little clinic, but we don't get to smell it because it <laughs> smells like pee. <laughs> and I'm glad we don't have to smell it. So in this moment, we're like, Ian gives up on... Uh, like Ian can't go to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't bring himself to go to work. He sees himself with no future, or, or a future that he can't make peace with. And he, in a callback to the like gas from the oven would be dangerous. Yeah. He's puts his head in the oven and turns on the gas. Ugh. And the dramatic irony that we know when Tom goes to the door and finds Ian mid suicide attempt. We know that uh, the baby is gone. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he gave up on his dreams and now has nothing that... And is about to give up on his is life. is about to give up on his life. And, like, he doesn't get Durham. He doesn't get a baby. He doesn't get a job that he can be happy with. And now he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Uh, and Tom and Trixie... Tom says, you know, a broken engagement is a major thing and Trixie's like "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh yeah we have this little moment of Tom and Trixie working together to help Ian Mm -hmm. Uh, others have said and I agree like best chemistry for characters on TV shows when they're working together Mm -hmm. um so Tom and Trixie like sort of make up while they are working to help Ian but now and then they are together because of work and talking about him and how his, like, future looks grim to him. Uh, a broken engagement is a serious thing. And then they talk about each other and themselves. And she's like, you want to kiss Barbara instead of me? I am beyond livid that he's like, well, I have a couple of times. And we didn't get to see it. We didn't get Tom and Barbara's first kiss. How dare you show? How dare I have to hear about it in this moment? How dare we only see, like, the sweetest little tiny holding of hands last episode. And then by the time we get to this episode, it's all like, oh, yeah, we've kissed. What? Excuse me? When did that happen? How dare you? And then he's like, but I'll never kiss her again. She broke it off. Because of you. And yeah. I'm like, Tom, that wasn't very kindly said. No. Like, I know you also have feelings that are hurt, but like, you could have said that more kindly. I think she broke it off because of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have a little talk about letting each other go and seeing the future. And like, as you, we have said, it both, it makes emotional sense, complete emotional sense, but also like Trixie... Uh, you broke off the engagement to Tom, not the other way. So, like, yeah, exactly. And a broken engagement is a serious thing. Oh, is it? Says Trixie. I'm like, yeah, you broke an engagement with him. Mm-hmm. I, it makes emotional sense. It's how people are. But, like, you're now snippy with him about breaking off an engagement. You broke off the engagement. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
And then she witnesses Linda giving the ring back to Ian. Mm-hmm. And that, like, her giving the ring back and I'm only doing the right thing, same as you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, I didn't marry you because it was the right thing. I wanted to marry you because I love you. And, like, that's half true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think he believes it as he says it. I think he does. And it is also this, like... I feel like this moment of contracts and life situations and everything is like impossible situations and they can all be just made better by individual humans being kind to each other. They can't all be fixed, but mm-hmm. like, I can, I don't have to hold you to something that's going to make us miserable. That's going to make, you know, yeah, you give up on your dreams. So then he puts the ring on the uh, counter and his... Mother says, keep it right there until you've got letters after your name. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they're going to maybe get married after all eventually, but in three years instead of in six, in three weeks. Mm-hmm. What was it? It was the bands was... take three weeks, I think. Yeah, the bands take three weeks. So they were going to be married in three weeks and now they'll be married in three years, maybe. Maybe. That's the other thing. It's like, do we really think that three years later this couple is going to still be together? You know, possible. Maybe. I think I'm, it's not impossible. I'm an optimist, but also a pessimist when I, it comes to childhood sweethearts. To be perfectly honest, I think nothing makes me more optimistic than this moment of her giving the ring back that so that true. he can follow his dreams. Mm-hmm. But like, if he, she could have uh, held him to it and they would have been unhappily married mm-hmm. or maybe divorced eventually or maybe one of them would have died. <laughs> and like her her being like I'm part of your family because your mother's my surrogate mother and I'll be here and you can come home to visit and you can follow your dreams I'm like that's the kind of thing that might lead to a happy relationship in the future still mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah Um, I think the last thing to talk about is uh, well first of all uh, Sheila and Patrick working on the mystery, which we already mentioned, that mm-hmm. this is an ongoing mystery. We have the benefit of hindsight to know it's thalidomide, but they have no idea, and this is something that they'll continue to to try and figure out. Do you remember? I think I do remember that uh, when we first watched this episode, did we immediately understand what was going on? I feel like there were... N- articles about it about Mm. like call the midwife is talking about the thalidomide scandal or something like that so i think that uh i potentially could have gone into the all these episodes blind because i didn't know about thalidomide before this but it was in like i you know how it is when you're when you google something and suddenly your phone has articles about it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) there were articles about call the midwife and thalidomide yeah. I feel like, too, I didn't, like, it was familiar when I it was like, oh, yeah, kind of thing. But I certainly didn't know the details about it. Yeah, I think we knew when when baby Susan was born, it was clear why right. that had happened. But we were waiting on the show to tell us. Right. So, um... Barbara and Trixie have a conversation about Barbara and Tom's relationship. There's a little moment when, uh... 
Trixie comes in and Phyllis is like, well, I better make myself scarce. And she says, or as they say in my Spanish class, the dejo a usted conversar, señoritas. <laughs> Which is, I'll leave it to you to talk, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> so Phyllis is getting better at Spanish. She is. Good job. <laughs> um, and... Trixie and Barbara have this conversation, which is the other time when Barbara's like, I'm not nice. Everyone says I'm nice. <laughs> oh, Barbara, you are nice. Yeah. What if I'm thinking mean and terrible things inside? As I cut out these fuzzy felt apostles. <laughs> I know. She's like, I'm like, I, you know, I understand. Don't belittle her. Her feelings are real. But if you think mean things inside, but do kind things, you are nice. That's what nice means. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about this conversation? Not really, other that than kind they, of wraps up what they wrap was... up. They wrap it up, and so Tom and Barbara are able to now date without feeling guilty about it. Trixie basically gives her her blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we have this uh, service for Sister Hildegard, and I assume that you have looked up songs and whatnot, or anything about. Uh, yeah, I have. Of... They're singing um, the end of. Uh, like a fairly standard it's not compline but they're thinking at the end of a fairly com- uh standard compline uh song the uh de gloria so i don't know that it's the song they're singing is especially significant in the way that some of the other ones were uh it's a part of a standard liturgy for an evening prayer um then uh sister mary cynthia reads from hildegard uh, von bingen um, this is a real quote by Hildegard, Hildegard von Bingen. They didn't make it up. Why would they? Obviously, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> God hugs you. You're encircled by the arms of the mystery of God. Mm-hmm. And this, I, I mean, I don't have actually a ton to say about it, except that it is seems to me like a clear callback to Trixie saying what she needs is a hug. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and, and Sister Julianne needs one as well, and also from God because exactly. of her faith. Exactly, and God hugs you. And it, to me, act, honestly, the uh, this is a n- nice moment, but the really moving religious words are the ones that Sister Julianne says out of Isaiah in the in the room with the baby in her arms. Mm-hmm. I find incredibly moving and this one is like yeah that's nice (laughs) to Mm -hmm. me yeah so the voiceover is very like bright future but they didn't know that bad things were coming and so like is that just in reference to baby Cottingham and the thalidomide poisoning or it does it did feel a little ominous about like are they foreshadowing things that are going to happen in the future i don't know yeah, even aside from this being a spoiler-free podcast, I don't remember well enough what happens in the next episodes uh, to know whether they're foreshadowing something specific. Mm-hmm. I think because it's juxtaposed with the box with the remains of Beta B. Cottingham, this is about the thalidomide. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is getting worse before it gets better. Yes. All right, so what was your favorite part of this episode? I bet you can guess. <laughs> is it Sister Julianne blessing the baby? It is Sister Julianne oh, blessing the baby. How is that your it's favorite? It's favorite. So sad. I mean, so often my favorite parts of things aren't necessarily the parts that make me happy, but they're the parts that make me emotional. Mm-hmm. And so, like, favorite with certain caveats. I don't like that it happened, but I like that it 
happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's a beautiful moment. So heart wrenching, so affecting. I love Sister Julianne in that moment. Sometimes I have kind of wryly said that our characters on the show are too good for this world, but this is, to me, not a moment of her being too good for this world, but being exactly good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly who she should be. Yeah. Uh, in a horrible situation. Mm-hmm. It was just, like, what I want to exist, and I hope does, is people like her in moments like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now that's my favorite part, too. <laughs> That might also be my favorite part in the, in terms of, like, the emotional center of this episode. Yeah. Uh, I also really like Sister Monica Joan in this episode. It's always, ne- like, I love, I love when she's comic relief, but I also love when she's insightful and for her in the chapel to be like, oh, I'm, we're having a little conversation here, but I'm seeing what my sister needs. Yeah. Uh, l- uh, lastly, the other part that, uh, I feel a, a connection to in a funny way is uh, Barbara and the Fuzzy Felt Apostles <laughs> because I use in the library we still use some felt stories and I have made Fuzzy Felt all kinds of things to stick up so it's kind of fun that like did you know we still do that and it's great I love felt I love felt, making do felt you remember stories <laughs> what is the most recent Fuzzy Felt thing you cut up I made a narwhals i made a bunch of narwhals for like five little narwhals blah 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 blah. blah. i don't remember how it goes off the top of my head but i cut out some narwhals good stuff yeah (laughs) all right well if you're with us if you haven't turned off the podcast to cry (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining us this week where can they get in touch with us, Jan? I'm going to throw it at you this time. Oh, man. Uh, we have a Discord that'll be linked in the show notes where you can chat with us about this. I quite like our Discord. Uh, you can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can support us on Patreon. Uh, Clockworkscast is our Patreon name. And uh, you can probably find us on other social media. Oh, uh, Twitter, uh, at poplaropinion. And yeah. Talk back to us. We love it when you guys tell us how the episodes made you feel or like just mm-hmm. like how much you like Call the Midwife or how much you hate Call the Midwife, which why would you be listening to this <laughs> if you do? We'll still hear you though. <laughs> we'll hear you out. All right. So I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. For the record, Jan has suggested that we do this entire podcast in a Scottish accent, so here we go. It sounds like I'm picking up on your mic. All right, season five, episode four. Here we go. Are you going to restart, or are you wanting to include that random Scottish bit in the end? I'm going to repeat, include it. Okay. Okay. Go.